1895, the state of Ohio had only two automobiles. And wouldn't you know it, they collided. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows what kind of collision we're going to have in the days ahead. If you dare vote for a decree that God finds abominable and murderous, you will answer to him. God's curse is upon you. How dare you? How dare you? Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. When is the time for justice? The time is now. I'm tired of waiting for incremental solutions that never make any increments and never bring solutions. So when is the time for justice? It's now. I said to every sinner, God broke the law. For love. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. If the court in a nation is the highest authority, then you've found a God. If the people are the highest authority, then you've found another God. If, if there's no transcendent law governing over this nation or any other nation, then you've found another God. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Take the guns first, go through due process second. Please clap. Just as the church has an obligation to be Christian, just as the family has an obligation to be Christian, just so the school has an obligation to be Christian, and the state, and your calling, and the school, every area of life must recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. Welcome to Cross and Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and enjoyment. Jesus is king, no neutrality, no exile, and no surrender. I'm your host, Jason Garwood. With me are my brothers, my co-laborers, Jordan. Yo, what's up? And John. Howdy, howdy. You guys doing all right today? Not too shabby. Not Absolutely. Too shabby. I cannot believe that we are at episode four. I know I say that every time, but every single episode, it's like, we made it. We did it. <laughs> we are here for your edification and enjoyment. Yes, it is kind of crazy, this whole journey. Is this a real podcast we're doing? Like, man, this is really coming together. Are people listening? It sounds like they are. We yeah. almost seem like we know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> almost. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. It's a work in progress, but thank you for listening. Thank you so many of you who have uh, just given us some great feedback. Given us some love the feedback. Yeah, the feedback's encouraging, um, and, and keep it coming. Certainly, if you want to share the episodes, you can do that on Facebook. We bring you episodes each and every Monday, and uh, yeah, we have a lot to talk about today because. Today is the theonomy episode. Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> we just knew it. We didn't even plan that. No, that's, that's, that's hilarious, actually. Yeah, theonomy, what is it? What is God's law? How do we apply it? We have a whole bunch of questions we want to sift through. And later, we do want to talk about wretched's wretched treatment of theonomy. Where oh. do we even begin? Yeah, Todd Friel on wretched TV. <laughs> TV, radio. Yeah, I, it was I TV. Don't... 
Unwretched. Um, had Phil Johnson there defending John MacArthur and some of the stuff he you said. You mean Phil Johnson was defending John MacArthur? Yes. Yeah, his right-hand <laughs> <Weird>. man. <laughs> his right-hand man uh, talking about theonomy. We want to play that for you and dissect it because we have some things to say in response. Because, mm. I mean, that's just how it is. But we'll get to that later after the break. Um, but before we dig into the theonomy discussion... There's some news we have to cover. We need to cover the SB 13, the bill to abolish abortion in the state of Oklahoma. Yes. Lots of stuff happening there. So really, John, I'm going to turn it over to you mostly because you've kind of been in the thick of it. You're from Oklahoma. That's right. I'm from Oklahoma. So you yeah. have a pulse on what's going on. What's happening? Well, uh, this is not really a surprise to those uh, who are part of the abolitionist movement, but it looks like pro-lifers are siding with abortion again in Oklahoma. So there's a bill, and it was written by State Senator Joseph Silk, that would actually criminalize abortion, like a real abolitionist bill, treating abortion like murder. First of all, this doesn't happen very often. Like Even having a bill authored by an actual state senator or state representative doesn't really happen very often at all. It's only happened a few times now. So... It's an actual bill to criminalize abortion. And you'd think that conservative and Christian state legislators would be the first to support this kind of bill to criminalize abortion, to actually treat it like murder. Um, Yeah, what could be possibly wrong with this bill where it's abolishing abortion if it's, you're it's too consistent yeah, yeah. And, and that's the the problem and of course i'm using air quotes when i say problem but the bill is very consistent and there's a lot of pro-lifers who are part of the um elite republican pro-life leadership who aren't consistent right uh, and so and this is actually very similar uh I, I was in oklahoma back in 2016 and i helped lobby for a very very similar criminalization bill that also treated abortion like murder and what happened then in 2016 was that pro-life legislators who are part of that you know again elite republican pro-life leadership refused to even hear the bill so it never even came to a vote mm. first of all there's a lot of problems with the bureaucracy and the politics of that is that the people don't even get a chance to vote on something because of Republican leadership. Uh, But beside that, these are people who are pro-life. So same thing is happening now. Same thing is happening in Oklahoma right now. So Senate Bill 13, SB 13, was introduced and was authored by, again, State Senator Joseph Silk. It was also co-authored by State Senator uh, Nathan Dom. So first of all, guys, I want to say thank you. Like, yes. Thank you for having a backbone. Thank you. Well thank done. Thank you for fearing God rather than man. Yes. So I have a huge amount of respect and appreciation for, for Nathan and Joseph in Oklahoma, and I wish them well. And I, there's also a few other guys who are, are supporting them and helping them. Um, and uh, But anyway, there, there's a really good article written about what's going on there. It's written by James Silberman, and he writes for The Resurgent. So you guys go read that article. It'll give you a really quick um, rundown of it. The article is called The Three Men Keeping Abortion Legal in Oklahoma. Mm. So give that a look. So the basic rundown is that, and the article gives a few talking points and it's really uh, helpful. The Republicans in Oklahoma outnumber the Democrats in Oklahoma 39 to 9 in the state Senate and then outnumber the Democrats 77 to 24 in the House of Representatives. Sounds well, like it should be a slam dunk. Exactly. It should yeah. be a huge slam dunk. The Republicans, the pro-lifers have this in the bag, um, but we can't even hear this bill. And the reason why, why <laughs> there's this, there's this Senator and he's the chairman of the committee 
that SB 13 has been assigned to. His name is Jason Smalley, Mm -hmm. Jason Smalley. And he's refusing to hear the bill in this committee. Refusing to hear it. He won't even pass it along so they can even Exactly. It has to to go through committee before it gets to actually get a vote. And he's saying that this bill to abolish abortion is unconstitutional. This is his reasoning. Hmm. So that's that's right, like listeners. To protect life is unconstitutional. He's agreeing with the Roe versus Wade uh, decision. Premise of it, yeah. Exactly. He's he's agreeing with the premise of it and saying that, well, Roe versus Wade is correct. Therefore, it is unconstitutional to abolish abortion in Oklahoma, or at least criminalize abortion in Oklahoma. And the other guy, his name is Senator, Senator Greg Treat. He's the pro tempore of the Oklahoma State Senate. He actually has the power to uh, give this bill a hearing on the floor to, to go through committee or maybe even just skip the committee vote. But the point being is he has the power. Both these guys are saying that it's actually unconstitutional. Hmm. And uh, I want to read this real quick. Uh, Senator Silk, he's, again, the, the author of the bill, he had this, he had this to say, and uh, I quote here, the senators who oppose SB 13 have zero knowledge of the Constitution and how our republic is, is supposed to work. <laughs> this is pretty, pretty bold of Silk, and I agree oh. with him completely. And he goes on, he says, they believe that the courts are all-powerful and they can decide whatever they like, whether it is constitutional or not. They also have no intention of doing what they campaigned on and actually protect innocent life. So that's that was Joseph Silk. Mm. And slam dunk. He's completely yep. right. He's yes, completely yeah. right. So in, let me just speak very frankly. In very uncertain, like very, very certain terms, these these men, uh, Senators Smalley and Treat, and everybody who's colluding with them in their efforts to stop SB 13 Oklahoma, they are going to be personally guilty of the butchering of around roughly 5,000 babies in 2020 in Oklahoma. Yep. Like they will be personally guilty and they will be judged by God. Yeah. And it's not just treat, of course, and it's not just Smalley, but definitely these men. Yeah. What comes to mind is in our intro to our show, the little Bonson quip, quip, uh, clip of him saying, you know, how dare you? Exactly. How? And that is the immediate, you know, thing that comes to my mind. You would think that men who were, who were at least genuine about the pro-lifeism, and I'm not a pro-lifer, mm-hmm. I'm an abolitionist, but at least men who are sincere would jump at the chance to be a hero like this. Mm-hmm. But they are not. So shame on mm-hmm. them. Shame on them. And here's the thing. Smalley, I'm not sure about Treat, but Smalley, he is a member in good standing at First Baptist Church in Stroud, Oklahoma. No kidding. That good standing thing should change real quick if the elders there fear God. And that's the thing. This is not just a failure of our political system, and it's not just a failure of Republicans. It's a failure of our churches. These churches need to teach better, and these churches need to repent of bowing down to the state and their widespread abortion apathy. They're not teaching on this. And, And I'm not saying that Treat and Smalley aren't responsible. They are. But I would put my money on that church not teaching that they need to defy the federal government whenever the federal government spits on the image of God. Yeah, it's just a very common sort of mindset that we have in the in the Christian broader Christian community where the first question when you come to any question of legality of anything isn't is it moral? Is it's the first question is is it legal and legal right, exactly. according to a man-made document, right. the US Constitution. The first question should always be what is my moral obligation before God? One and if and that trumps all other considerations, right? Exactly. And of yeah. course, there there are some um, 
different perspectives on this. We have uh, democratic cities and democratic states who are defying the federal government on drug laws. Uh, there are democratic states who are defying the federal government on immigration laws, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you have examples of states and cities defying federal law and also federal Supreme Court decisions, but Christians don't have the backbone to defy federal court decisions on life. Right. Yeah. Boy, how things have changed. Well, I mean, the start of this nation were, you know, Christians saying no to tyranny. And now, now we're just cowards. Yeah. And, and I think there's like two schools of thought that two avenues to go down it. So there, the, the first school of thought is that there is a constitutional reason to, um, to recognize states' rights and the state sovereignty and states' abilities to decide these kinds of questions and to not allow unelected judges to have, um, you know, almost unchecked power in yeah. these kinds of decisions. So that's one. The other one is maybe it's true that the Constitution is actually set up in such a way where the judges do have the power to do these kinds of things. And then the next question is, do we defy them or not? Right. right. And, that, and the answer to that question is, well, does it defy God's law or not? Right, exactly. Here, I mean, there is a constitutional route to defying the federal government, defying the Supreme Court. It is a an American tradition in our laws where you can make a very good political and historical case. But the bottom line is, as a Christian, do you fear God or do you fear man? Right. That it's really that line. simple. And here's something else. And I wanted to actually bring this up because I don't want to just rant. There is actually something you can do. Good. Um, we can talk about this and we should. We should talk about it on social media. We need to be very, very prayerful as well. Uh, but there's something else because right now, Smalley and Treat, they don't want to hear the bills. But there's still time. They can still change their mind. So what we can do is phone and email them. Um, so I have Smalley's email address, who's the, mo the person we need to contact uh, right now, and it's smalley at oksenate.gov. That's S-M-A-L-L-E-Y at oksenate.gov. And you also need to call his office. It's 405-521-5547. Again, one more time, 405-521-5547. Now, don't call him and be belligerent. Right. <laughs> but the, he does need to know that SB 13 is constitutional and Roe is not. And he does need to know that he should fear God rather than man. We need to boldly defy Roe and defy the tyranny of the Supreme Court. Yeah. And here's the thing, friends. Like, I, I do believe Oklahoma will criminalize abortion, and I do believe Virginia will criminalize abortion. I think the world will criminalize abortion mm -hmm. because of that post mill. Right. Yeah. But this will only happen when that's what the people really want. Right. And right now, I'm not sure... If even one of the most pro-life states in the entire nation, Oklahoma, really wants that. Yeah. And I, I hope Oklahoma wants that. And I hope Oklahoma keeps men like Smalley and Treat accountable. I hope SB 13 passes. Maybe it will. And I pray that it does. But I'm not convinced because many pro-lifers in Oklahoma do not really seem to treat abortion like murder and view abortion like murder. So and then this brings me to my really my main point that I want to make. This is why we need to continue preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We need to make sure we're serving our king first, not a pro-life cause and not even an abolition cause. Because we will get abolition, but we will get abolition through building the kingdom of God. Right. Amen. Right. And maybe some of the listeners don't don't know this, but this happened already, what, two years ago with HB 948 with Tony Tinderholt in Texas. That's right. It did not, wasn't allowed to go through committee because of a 
God-fearing Christian pro-life Republican. It's the same stuff over and over again. And that's why we insist all the time, look, get off the pro-life train. It's going to nowhere. It's compromised all up and down the thing. The whole way down, it's compromised. And there's just no pursuit of justice. So this is despicable. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And it's the same, you know, circus every couple years when this happens. Um, And I certainly don't think it's bad or a waste of time to get involved in the politics. But we really, really need to be focusing on the hearts. Because I think when the hearts change, people will start putting these, like, holding these men accountable. Yeah. And they'll start getting kicked out of office. At this point, I'm not sure if they care enough. But... That doesn't mean we shouldn't seek justice and we seek the passing of these bills. Yeah. So if you're listening right now, open up your Gmail, open up your Outlook, put that uh, email address in there. Email these guys right now. Don't forget about it. And and let's let them know. Yeah. That's right. And we'll put the email address and the uh, phone number in the show notes as well. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, thanks for that update. That, yeah. This is this is big news. I mean, it's current. It's happening right now. Um, and we need we need to make our voice heard for sure. And similar things are going to be coming our way in Virginia. So these are also things we need to learn from. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, great. Hey, we want to talk about theonomy, which is a great segue because this is uh, all about God's law. And we want to talk about uh, really God's law in the broader sense of the word. Um, What does it mean sort of generally before we get into any discussion on you know, do we need to go around stoning children? <laughs> uh, which that's going to come up later, interestingly. It, short answer, no. Long answer, no. <laughs> yes. I thought theonomy was just about stoning everybody. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, uh, that's the straw man. Usually people say, well, who are we rounding up next? Yeah. You know, um, we want to give you some thoughtful answers to that. But let's, get, let's really start with that. What is sort of a broad definition? Where do we go from there? Yeah, because I think it's important not just to lay out the sort of differentiators of theonomy, but just to talk about God's law even more broadly. So when you talk about God's law, there are several uses of God's law. And so let's talk about a few of those. So one thing that, the God, that God's law does is it, is it uh, reveals to us our own sin and our own level of depravity before a holy and righteous God. And we see this all throughout the New Testament where, uh, you know, the New Testament authors are frequently talking about this dynamic of the law as a mirror, showing you your need of a savior, showing you the complete inability of you to earn salvation, even to get going. That whole program is just, uh, a, a highway to damnation. And, uh, you know, it's the stumbling stone, the stumbling stone in Roman nine, Romans nine and 10 that's referred to is how, Uh, Israel thought that they could attain righteousness before God as if it were based on works, as if, right? As if it were based on works. So uh, we know for sure that it's, that it's not based on works and there's nothing you can do to earn through keeping of the law, salvation and righteousness before God through your own keeping of the law. You need, you need a substitute, right? You need the keeper of the law. Who's a man, you know, uh, who has actually performed this and that's Jesus Christ. There's no one else. Amen. You need his perfect record. So talk about the law and the need to not be enslaved to the law. That slavery is referring to trying to keep the law for salvation, for your own righteousness. That slavery is never, never, never about the, uh, you know, keeping God's law as something that will, uh, will help you or is a good thing for your family to follow a good thing for you individually to follow. If you read Psalm 119, David's going on and on about how much he's 
obsessed with God's law, how much he loves with God's, how much he loves God's law, how it's all he thinks about day and night, his statutes and his, yeah. you know, his righteous decrees. And in is David enslaved to the law, despite that passion for the law that he has? What's the answer? Of course not. Nope. Right. Of course, David was not enslaved to the law. So uh, we need to be very careful about remembering the different uses of the law. It's a mirror. It's a guide. Right. And it is basically a path, a way that you can uh, a way that you can live. OK. Yeah. And so in this discussion about what theonomy is, let's let's start there. Now, I'm going to give you as simple a definition as I can as I can put it and as in as few technical terms as I can use to give you the definition for theonomy. So as simply as I can state it, theonomy is the view that uh, the scripture says that God has some laws which are reflective of his nature and do not change under any covenant, no matter what the covenant is, um, because God doesn't change. That's called his immutability. I told you I was going to use long words, but he doesn't change. So, so then other laws are tied to his redemptive plan, which unfolds in history sequentially. And therefore, those laws change as his redemptive plan unfolds in history. And so the distinctiveness of theonomy is that it further says that some of these transcendent laws, these laws that do not change, they can be found in the law of Moses, even laws related to civil conduct for rulers. Um, and this is all despite the fact that even though the Mosaic covenant itself was temporary and is now over, the covenant itself did contain laws, principles, statutes, etc. that are transcendent because they reflect the reflective of God's unchanging character at all times and all places. And so what we see even in the Old Testament is that the law that was given to Israel was also applicable to the nations that were surrounding Israel. Mm-hmm. That's a big point it's because a, very a lot of people are point. not sure about that. Right. God's law was applied to everyone. Every nation had an expectation from God that they would follow these statutes. And so let's, let's talk about this. So Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, let's read this. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. That you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So they're about to enter enter the promised land. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there as... um, is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So the nations are supposed to hear about the law of God and they're supposed to be in absolute wonder at how righteous and how holy and how just wonderful these rules are and these laws are that are so fair and equitable, right? And they're supposed to give glory to God for these righteous standards. And elsewhere, as we continue throughout the Old Testament, we see that nations are actually being spewed out of the lands for disobeying God's laws, okay? And so uh, this standard or this idea that the nations themselves need to oblige these laws is is there. And So so, real quick, you might say that it's evangelistic. 
Yeah, yeah. You, like in in a certain sense, so we need to be careful. Yeah, we are not saying that um, uh, the law, keeping the law, is is the is the way that you get salvation. Right. We're not saying that. Right. But we're saying that you know God. God in the gospel has sent us his son, who is the promised Messiah, who is the king. The king has a law, right? The king has has a, a civil system of governance for rulers to, to obey. That's why in Psalm 2, it talks about the rulers right. needing to kiss the son and obey his statutes. And so um, when we say that the law can be thought of as evangelistic, the law itself, even in the old covenant, was supposed to draw people into the wonder and the righteousness. Of yeah, God. it okay. serves as a pointer, right? It's right. pointing people to justice and where does justice come from? It comes from the God of justice right. who is himself just. The law points to the lawmaker. The, right. Exactly. And there's nothing works righteousness about that at all. Okay, <laughs> nothing at all. Now, nice word. in order for us to, it's a technical word, but <laughs> in order for us to see God's laws as, as lovely, then we do need the spirit to regenerate us, right? And so in, in Theonomy, and we'll talk about this later, this is not about forcing a law upon a nation that hates God's law, right? It's not about that. It's about, it's about the Holy Spirit going forth in power and the power of the Great Commission and the power of the gospel going forward, hearts being changed, and as a nation becomes a nation that uh, hates God or goes from a nation that hates God's law towards a nation that loves God's law, they're going to want righteous decrees to govern the land. And so what are we talking about when we talk about God's laws that are transcendent? Okay, so you've got proportionate penalties because in those days, it was very commonplace for the pagan nations surrounding Israel to have a king. If somebody offended him, the king would not only like kill the person who offended them, he'd kill their whole house. He'd kill the person's wife and their children and burn their house down and their descendants after them. And there was not proportionate penalties. So when right. the law of God comes around and we're talking about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it's actually a limiting factor, right? It's, you know, you may not punish beyond what the proportion of the crime was. So the, the lex talionis, that is, so I just want to clarify when some, if somebody were to come up to you randomly and, you know, take a machete and cut your hand off, which is a process I realize, but does that mean that their hand gets cut off? <laughs> is that just and pro- pro- no, right? Because we're talking about pagan. That's why people say all this all the time about, well, if you steal something, you should cut their hand off. That's actually Sharia. <laughs> That's not God's law. Right. right. So it's all, I mean, it's blasphemous to talk about God's law in terms of Sharia law. We're talking about the pagan God of Allah. It's right. a totally different thing. Right. But my point is, and, and real quick, is the the justice of God gives proportion, and it's a standard that is what we can safely say is just. Right. You steal a loaf of bread under God's law, the penalty is restitution. Correct. It's you pay back that loaf of bread and the opportunity cost that it costs to produce that bread. Right. It actually makes sense. Yes. <laughs> it's proportionate, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just the simple idea that the punishment should fit the crime. Exactly. And not be this arbitrary, vindictive thing mm-hmm. that only sates people's revenge appetite. Right. And something tied to it all, all the time is economic factors. Right. Right. So oh, absolutely. If a, if a, a, someone steals your car and they bring it back, there's a certain penalty attached to are, that. Are you saying the Bible teaches economics? Yeah, I would say but so. We can, and we can speak into our culture right now and say that getting you know 10 years for selling a, a, a bag of dope is not a proportionate 
penalty. Not it's, even close. It, and okay, well, let's back up. Not it, is it even biblical jurisdiction of the civil law? We'll answer that too. But yeah. that point about proportionality, we can speak into the cultural, um, obvious, just just debacle we have going on with the prison prison system and the um, the criminal justice system and the kinds of penalties that are putting people in cages and ruining families for these sort of minor non uh, victimless crimes, right? So, anyway, so that's that's proportionate. That's like one of like seven. Uh, sort of transcendent principles that, yeah. I mean, there's actually more than that. We'll just go through, we'll fly through these seven yeah, right now. Yeah. So uh, equal scales. Okay. And so uh, equal scales is we look at inflation. You, you talked about the economy a second ago. Um, the fact that the government is intentionally devaluing the supply of money so it can spend on its pet projects. Right. This is not treating money as it is designed to be treated, which is a reliable weight of measurement right. so that people can rely and know what they're trading and selling. It's an unjust weight. And well, God it sounds hates like, it. It sounds like theft to me. <laughs> it does. It's a. It's one of the most insidious yep. forms of theft because theft because it hurts the poorest the most. Yes. Right, exactly. Because that's not discretionary income for them. This is the grocery money that they're using, which is de- being devalued and devalued and devalued. Uh, and it's one of the most, as I said, insidious forms of government. Theft. Of course. And this is a, a gross oversimplification, of course. Sure. But imagine if you have $5 in your pocket. Well, at the end of inflation, you still have $5, but the buying power of that $5 is decreased. That is theft. Right. You could buy two um, you know, buckets of bananas, and now you can only buy one with that same right. $5. So, right. Yeah, it's it's and those are the kinds of laws that God hates the most uh, in in all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the prophets are going on and on about how laws which uh, extort the poor, God is going to destroy you for that. Yeah. And so God hates, and so we, as people who have God's law, we can authoritatively speak into the culture, kind of like salt and light. Almost we're supposed to be right, and from God's law, apply these transcendent principles. And call for repentance, right? And to embrace the Messiah and his kingdom. So, so we don't need socialism, which pretends to be so generous and so kind. Speaking of theft. <laughs> <laughs> we need God's law. Okay, That's yes. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. And here, here's another important one. Due process. Yeah. Due process. Okay, so there is so many instances of lack of due process and not just in the civil realm, but in all kinds of realms, uh, whether it be the family, whether it be the church, whether it be the state business, uh, where people are making determinations about other people without due process. And they're making judgments where they're um, enabling sanctions on people, actual sanctions without due process. And what does God's law require? Well, if you're talking about a, a crime, you need to have two witnesses, and those witnesses need to have been witnesses to the crime that happened. They can't just have heard about something. It can't be hearsay, right? Um, when Jesus, and this is another, we could spend a whole show on this. When Jesus was going before the people and talking about the woman caught in adultery, mm-hmm. and he pretty much dusted his hands of that whole show, because that's what it was, a show, because they were not obliging due process law and he essentially told the woman hey i already know like go and sin no more i'm i know what you did but in terms of following the process that god's law lays out was not being followed you must where was the where was the man who was caught in the the very act of adultery where was because if she was caught 
Yeah. He was there. He was there. Yep, that's right. And so (laughs) what this was, was a kangaroo court set up by Pharisees who didn't give a lick about God's law. And And maybe maybe one of those Pharisees was doing the... Indeed. Yeah, yeah. You never know. Yeah. That wouldn't be that surprising. A kind of power play. But that's what happens, though. You have this mob rule mm-hmm. in that passage where God's law is just you know thrown to the side. Right. And when when if if any of those people had thrown the first stone without having proper due process, then they would have enacted upon themselves the same punishment that they required on that person throwing the stone. the The punishment that was to be levied was to be a community event after the due process had been properly followed. And if you're circumventing due process, especially if you're giving false witness, Mm -hmm. then under God's law, that uh, you are required to endure that same punishment. Which we have to remember, God's law is supposed to work as a whole. You can have the two process, the two witness requirement, but if the witnesses don't know that if okay, if I if I give false witness, I won't have to pay for it then that's not God's law. That's not a working system. It has to be both two witnesses right. and the witnesses has to know that they're going to bear the punishment if they're caught lying about it. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, one person lying is easy. Two people lying. It's just a little bit less easy, just a little bit. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you need that guard. And so God's law, it has guards against that sort of tyranny. It has guards against two people just colluding together right. uh, to lie about somebody. And before you go on, cause I want to, we got to come to a break here shortly. Uh, I love what you said, especially due process as it pertains to church government. When we talk about ecclesiastical courts, which is foreign to people, a lot of people. Uh, when you th- speaking of you know SB thirteen and the church, where is the due process? Where is the levied punishment? Whether that's excommunication or confrontation with your brother? You know, you think about Matthew eighteen. There's a due process passage. You know, there are stipulations in God's law. We don't just jump to civil penalties. It's all over the place. Right. Exactly. Interpersonal relationships, those types of right. things. You don't want to, you don't want to just be a law unto yourselves. Right. There's a reason why these regulations exist. There's a reason why these laws exist is to protect against tyranny, but also to protect against anarchy. Mm-hmm. It's both sides. And if mm-hmm. you, if you have a, a, a small group of men to just, get together to secretly excommunicate somebody without any kind of meetings, <laughs> without any kind of phone calls, with any kind of accountability, without any kind of due diligence, any kind of cross-examination. Well, that's just tyranny. That's every bit as bad as Donald Trump signing an executive order doing whatever the heck he wants to do. Right. It's the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we could fly through all the rest of them. Fathers don't pay for the crimes of the sins of the sins of the uh, sorry. Fathers do not pay for the crime of the sons right? and vice versa. Sons don't pay for the crimes of the father impartiality of the law. So you don't treat different people groups, mm-hmm. foreigners. We can talk a lot about that. Citizens as sort of a different uh, under a different law code. Don't take bribes. And judges. this is also like di- revolutionary, almost different from all the surrounding nations. You can see how the surrounding nations would be like, whoa, what's going on here? Because they were all treating different people with partiality, right? People groups within the men, women, foreigners, citizens. Um, yeah. Another one, judges and rulers must be godly. They must not take a bribe. Our entire political system is based on bribery. Yeah. Our, if you, it is all about, you get into Washington, you get into local politics, what's your funding source? How are you going to get money? That is like the, the modus operandi. Yeah. That is the lifeblood of the system is bribery, bribery, bribery. Um, law, another one, law to be administered is explicitly founded upon God's authority. So in the U.S. Constitution, the authority is the people. 
Yeah. And whatever you want to say about the U.S. Constitution, some people say, well, it, it could have been more uh, you know, explicitly Christian, but it's a process document and it's only as good as, as uh, the people running it. It's fine. I mean, you know, there may be certain um, legitimacy to that. But at the end of the day, whatever we do, we should do under the glory of God, whether that's baking cookies or making con- uh, constitutional documents. First thing that should have been in the U.S. Constitution should have been under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. <laughs> and right. his kingdom and his law word. Right. I mean, explicit. It needs to be explicit. And and let's not act like that. It's an accident. It wasn't in there, um, especially when you get to the religious test oaths. Yeah. There is no accident. It, and it wasn't just about denominations, because who is the first uh, three presidents? You got Washington, Adams, Jefferson. Jefferson, yeah. Now, we could talk about Washington, but we know that both Jefferson and Adam, Adams, from their correspondence, were outright apostates and, oh, and heretics. Absolutely, absolutely. They rejected the Trinity, made fun of people who believed in the Trinity, made fun of... Said things I can't really repeat. If you read Adams, what he had to say about the Trinity, basically taunting the God of Scripture about how stupid, allegedly, the Trinity is. Yeah. Right, because they were just awash in post-enlightenment rationalism. Yep, deistic humanism. So the point being, though, the, the U.S. Constitution, again, Christians can say there is a higher law over the U.S. Constitution. And guess what? The U.S. Constitution needs to be under the authority of Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. It needs to be under the authority of Jesus Christ, or you pull a William Lloyd Garrison and you burn it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. One or the other. And if that offends you, Christian... You need to maybe think about where your priorities lie. Yeah. Yeah. Van Til <laughs> right. said it's either theonomy or autonomy. Now we're not gonna try to argue that Van Til was a full on theonomist in you know, in the way we may understand it. But he did say it's either theonomy or autonomy. It's either God's law or self law or man's law. Right. And there is no neutrality. We say that all the time here. That's what we're talking about right. in terms of God's law. Now and, and just like I said before, Rush Dooney R.J. Rushdoony, he believed that the U.S. Constitution was a procedural document in that there was uh, a procedural morality to the U.S. Constitution. And so, you know, I, okay, like we can, we can go along with that. But at the end of the day, we still, and, and Rushdoony would agree, we still have to deal with these questions of law. Who's the lawgiver? And how, what's, by what standard are we applying these laws to um, current our current day and our current law systems. So. Right, exactly. There is a little bit of diversity on thought on the Constitution. Sure. I, I side more with Gary North, and I highly recommend Conspiracy in Philadelphia on the subject. Um, but yeah, Constitution. GaryNorth.com <laughs> slash free books. Yeah, and PDF. somebody in Did the room Did they pay us here, for that advertising? <laughs> somebody in the room read the audiobook. <laughs> That's true. Mr. I, yours truly did uh, record the audiobook. At, you can find it at Reconstructionist Radio. Yeah. And uh, you can check out their conspiracy in Philadelphia. It's a great book. And it's not just about uh, what happened in the Constitution there. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we got to take a quick break. We have a lot more to cover. I feel like we had just barely scratched the surface on there. I'm sure we'll come back to this topic. Uh, real quick, before we take a break, visit our website. You can go to crosscrownchurch.com. And uh, you can stay connected with what we're doing here, especially the radio shows there. If you want to share it with your friends, we'd love that. Visit us on Facebook as well. You can see the Cross and Crown Radio Facebook page. All right, we can take a break real quick. We'll be back in a minute. Not the sinner's land or occupies the scoffer's chair. For his delight is in God's law. 
How many books do you know of that address topics of education and welfare, local government, state government, taxation, money and banking, free markets, courts, war and the military, and the executive power? How many books do you know actually talk about these topics from a biblical perspective and set forth all of the issues, the ideas, the history, and the hurdles, and the blueprints for the way forward? Hi, I'm Joel McDermott with AmericanVision.org. In Restoring America One County at a Time, I cover all these topics and more, showing you how America was once free, how those freedoms were lost, and giving you an uncompromising biblical approach to get those freedoms back. I focus on practical steps, local solutions, personal sacrifices, and it has a multi-generational vision. So don't just sit around talking about Restoring America. Actually do something. And you can start by getting my book, Restoring America One County at a Time, at AmericanVision.org. How blessed is the man who does not walk in counsel of the wicked. And where the boastful sinners talk, will he refuse to stand? Psalm 72, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills and righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and the peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May may there be a abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains may it wave may it be fruits like lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field may his name endure forever his fame continues as long as the sun may people be blessed in him all nations call him blessed blessed be the lord the god of israel who alone does wondrous things blessed be his glorious name forever may the whole earth be filled with his glory amen and amen yes amen indeed welcome back to cross and crown radio that is an Amazing passage, Woo! by the way. <laughs> Psalm 72. That Bible, though. Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. Hey, well, welcome back. We have a lot in store for this segment. We have a lot of stuff to cover. So we're going to try to do our best to make sure we don't go on for three or four hours. I guess if we do, it's fine. 
Um, but we want to start really with a clip from Wretched, Wretched TV. We're just going to call it Wretched's Wretched Treatment of Theonomy. Oh, I get it. Yeah, it was fitting. It's fitting. Um, but before we get into that, though, I want to set up the clip so you all know what we're talking about. Uh, just a few weeks ago, John MacArthur, pastor, famed pastor, um, well-known dispensational um, proponent, writer, author, he's done a lot of work, very well-known. He was on Ben Shapiro's show and was uh, interviewed by Ben Shapiro. It was about an hour-ish long, and there was a lot of discussion about uh, politics and the gospel. In our estimation, though, it was a truncated gospel that went forth. Um, and Dr. Joel McDermott, a friend of ours, wrote a response to that, just critiquing some things. I think we all had a, a little bit of a critique to offer. Yeah, a bit. A little bit. Um, and I thought it was a really good response from Dr. McDermott. And then wretched Todd Friel and Phil Johnson sat down to to basically discuss that response. And so what you're going to hear is their response from Wretched TV. And we're just going to go ahead and play that clip and uh, we'll we'll pause it here and there, I think. Are you guys ready for this, though? I don't know if I'm ready, to be honest with you. I don't know <laughs> I, if I'll ever be ready. I actually haven't heard it yet. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't do my homework. Oh. I listened to it several times. I pity you. And I have more gray hair. I wanted to have the, the live response. Yeah, you can do the live response. Just let me know when you want to pause this. Well, is there a trigger button? Because John's about to be triggered here. Yeah. Okay. It's, oh, it's no. going <laughs> to be really good. I can't wait. All right. Well, hey, let's just uh, we'll kick it off, shall we? This particular subject, I think it's probably the nearest and the dearest to Ben's heart. You know, it's politics. Right. John MacArthur said a number of things that could cause a number of Christians to go, what's up with that? My my calling, my my mandate, the, the command from heaven to me is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the message that I am committed and mandated by God to preach. It's the gospel uh, politics is is the art of um, reordering human society on a temporal basis. The message of the gospel has to do with eternal e- eternal issues. Real quick, though, do we have an issue there? Yeah, a bit, a bit. What happened to the gospel, of the kingdom that Jesus talked about? Well, I mean, he conveniently put, and I and I get what he's saying in terms of eternity. You know, when when all the new heavens and new earth, when we're restored. And all that, there's perfect justice, there's perfect peace, there's no cancer, there's Amen. no sickness, right? So Amen. praise God for that. But I feel like even that statement from from John MacArthur was very sort of, he, he's setting the stage. So very, I'm preaching the gospel. very dualistic. Yeah, I'm preaching the gospel. That is eternal. Politics, that's just how we order society. Because, well, obviously that doesn't matter. Right, and it's just... It, there's nothing really wrong with what like MacArthur said in this very first bit, except there is this just assumption of politics and the gospel being completely unrelated. And we know that's just false. We know that Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, and that includes like right now right. and over all things right now. And the reason in the New Testament that Christians were being persecuted was not, be, was not because they were Christians. It was because they were saying Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't. Exactly. And Jesus is Lord yeah. over Caesar. That's a gospel. So because of this, this demand of authority that Christ places, it's the, it's the 
foundation of the gospel is Christ's authority in heaven and on earth, all of it. That's the reason we can go out as witnesses and preach the substitutionary atonement authoritatively and the call to repent and the call to repent to all people. It's all because of this foundation, which is the authority of the gospel. And when we go out there and we act like politics sort of doesn't have anything to do with the gospel, then we've just totally undercut the entire foundation. The gospel is inherently political. Yeah. Inherently political. Doesn't mean that uh, John MacArthur's duty is to become a Republican Party, you know, liaison or, you know, a, a policymaker or what have you. But we've got to be very careful that we do not create this dualistic split between politics and the message of the gospel. Right. All right. Well, we got we got 38 seconds in. Okay. <laughs> we got a Let's long way to go. Going. Let's keep going. Is, yeah, and that wasn't even that bad. No, no. I we we know where he's going though. Yeah. I mean, we've watched the Shapiro interview, but anyway, here we go. Listen. Listen very carefully. Can you hear some people getting agitated? And he's just getting warmed up oh, I'm getting with agitated. his balance of gospel oh, yeah. and politics. Yeah, in fact, I've already seen a response to that by a theonomist who uh, who just went crazy with that. He, it really, really irritated him. <laughs> what is a theonomist? A theonomist is someone who believes that the, uh, the uh, civil principles of the Old Testament law uh, are what are what need to govern society even today, and so that one of the duties of the church is to to lobby for in politics for uh, legislation that reflects the moral equity of the the Old Testament. So, okay, stop. <laughs> okay, um, be sure to listen first of all. Yeah, listen, everyone. Yeah, listen. So, what he just described does anybody have a problem with that? I mean, no, yeah. right? Like uh, he described. The, the what 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 is theonomy? Well, theonomy, he said, is the principles of morality as it applies to government that was uh, given to Israel, and right. he said that now the church has the obligation to take those principles and lobby, uh, you know, the government. I mean, I don't really. Yeah, have I a mean, problem. he says the Old Testament. It's like like this sort of. Oh, it's old. It's way back there. Like they're pulling something. It's done. Well, he it's seems over like he's denigrating the idea of Christians lobbying the government to pass moral laws. Yeah, is yeah. that like is what that are a our ideas for morality? Come, we were just talking about SB thirteen in Oklahoma, right? A bill to actually criminalize abortion. He almost seemed like he defined a theonomy by supporting something like uh, that. Yeah, I don't. I don't get like the controversy there, really. Except that he called uh, Joel. What did he say? He was furious. Yeah. I mean, Joel, I mean, I've, if you read this article that he's responding to that, that Joel wrote in critique of John MacArthur, Joel was not furious in this article. Yeah. He was complimentary of John MacArthur at various places, but he did give a critique. Well, but it's just it's just interesting the way that Friel and and, um, and Johnson go about it is so disrespectful, sort of. And, you know, that they're not saying, well, you know, Joel McDermott, you know, he's a, a good teacher, but we have a different disagreement with him here. And we would, whether it's Piper, whether it's MacArthur, we would all say that these are men who, who at had times have done wonderful things for the kingdom and have been used of God in various ways, including in some of our own lives. But at the same time, we do have like disagreements with them. Mm-hmm. And yet sort of the, the notion is that, you know, oh, who's this theonomy guy, Joel McDermott? Yeah. Well, it's know. supposed to be scary. And I think they're trying to make it scary. Right. Yeah. And I think we'll see a the little bit more of that theonomy. in a minute. It's, it's what yeah. we call poisoning the well. And uh, it's an art. Let's keep going. Yeah. 
stoning naughty children again. Yeah, yeah. That's fact, okay, stop. stop. Whoa, 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 stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's rewind it a little bit. He said stoning all the children? Stoning naughty children. No, the naughty children. Because that's okay. an Old Testament law. But but now, the Jordan. This is the boogeyman argument. Are we advocating, Is first of all, is God advocating in the Old Testament that when a two-year-old throws a temper tantrum in the Wegman's cereal aisle, that we should stone them. Okay, well, you know what might be a like a revolutionary idea? Let's read what the Bible says. That what? Okay, here's what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious infant toddler... No, wait, that's not what it says. Not even close. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious child... No, still not what it says. If a man has a stubborn and, re- stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of this city, This our, stun- our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is... He's... Uh, you know, he has temper tantrums. Oh. Wait, Nate, that's not what it says. He's a drunkard. Yeah. This is not a child. Yeah. This, this is, is a grown, obstinate, repeatedly rebellious, you know, drain on society. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. And this is the grown son who has obstinately dishonored his parents okay. and is a menace to society. Okay. So yeah. it's not the... He's not saying... That the two-year-old's a drunkard, right? <laughs> like I'm pretty sure he's not saying this infant has a drinking problem, and because no. of his alcoholism, we right. are going to stone <laughs> the two-year-old. But let's be very clear about what Todd Friel just did. Yeah, and Todd Friel, I hope you're listening to this. You just said, "Oh, the naughty child." What are you trying to do, Todd? You're trying to make it seem you're you're misrepresenting yes. God's law. Exactly. You better be careful about that, man. Yeah. I like remember I, Christopher I, in Hitchens love, doing I'm telling the exact you that. same thing. In love, I'm, yeah. I'm telling you that. Please be more careful. Like You'll have to account as a teacher of God's law for sort of twisting God's law into making it. So it's the boogeyman argument. Because you know what that does? It makes people automatically think of their children. <gasps> if theonomy gets implemented, my children, the next time they have a temper tantrum, they're going to be stoned. Yeah, Theonomy's crazy. Listen, right. he's crazy theonomist, right? And that's literally sort of the tact they're taking with this right and and one thing i wanted to mention as just a a baseline of discussion god's law is good yeah god's law is good amen so even if you're not a theonomist and i respect many men and women who are not me too you need to recognize even from your theological perspective that i disagree with you don't think god's law is still abiding even from that perspective you need to recognize that when it was abiding it was good. And when you take God's law word yep. and you twist it and you take it out of context in that way, you make God's law look evil. And that's the exact kind of argument that men like Christopher Hitchens and other atheists use in debates against Christians. You are doing the exact same thing they're doing. Yeah. It's really messed up. Yeah. It's one thing to say, well, we don't think that applies and that's foolish. So theonomous, you know, exegetically, blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. to, to, to poo poo God's law as if God was unjust, even if it's just for Israel. Right. 
Exactly. That's that's a problem. And even within theonomy, there's a variety of views on this how this passage would be applied. None of them, by the way, include a little child being killed yeah. or a temper tantrum. There are zero theonomists who have ever taught that. Right. What are you talking about? Bonson, you're talking about Rush Dooney, you're talking about North. None of them are saying little four year old Johnny needs to be stoned because he had a temper tantrum one time. Well, it's 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 astonishing right. to me because when you just think about it, they think that the God of the Old Testament is somehow weird and twisted and scary. They're not saying that, but that's what they're implying by this kind of characterization. To play on people's fears. And, you know, it's not just this context. There's been several different contexts in my life where I've seen someone try to denigrate theonomy, and the very first thing that they do is they go right there. Mm Mm-hmm. And they tried it, and it's like very cynical, a very, very cynical way of going about the topic. It's not really an honest way about going of yeah. going about the topic. So, right. All right, well, let's continue. We got more. Let's continue, <laughs> Pastor. We got a we'll, whole. We'll let Todd speak for a moment. Oh, yeah, just a moment here. Sometimes, I mean, it's it's odd. Joel McDermott was the one who wrote this article that, where he was furious with John MacArthur for this. Oh, here we go. And five years ago or so, he was arguing that, uh, it, yeah, we ought to stone homosexuals. Stop, know. stop, we gotta stop, stop right there. <laughs> Clarification, Joel McDermott has never said we need to stone yeah. homosexuals. Ever, 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 Nobody's, ever. In yeah. fact, I challenge you to find a theonomist who, whether it's Rush Dooney, Bonson, North, McDermott, Damar, Gentry, yeah. Chilton, anybody who has ever said, we need to start stoning homosexuals. Yep. That is just yep. wrong. Okay, That's so, a, It's a flippant dismissal. It's irresponsible. And for these men right. who, who claim to have the high ground with right. regard to exegetical endeavors, right. it's nonsense. No, so what, it, what has been said? Well, in, according to God's law, if somebody after due process and, you know, two witnesses... You know, who, you know, witnessed the act in the moment of sodomy, not talking about two guys hugging each other as they walk down the road, right? right? Or arm around, oh, look at those sodomites. We can just stone them now. Right. right. Like waving a rainbow flag (laughs) or something. Come on. This would almost, and Rush Dune talked about this, it would almost have to be done in public because it'd be very hard to actually catch somebody in the act of Mm -hmm. sodomy like this. This is a blatant. Yes. Uh, you could say like treasonous, blasphemous act of rebellion against God's law. Yes. Revolutionary blatant, act. Uh, blatant and, and enthusiastic act. Right. Yeah. And so in that case, yes, in the Old Testament, there were to be stoned. And many theonomists agree, agree that this same principle in a, in a nation that has been regenerated by the gospel, where it's mostly Christian people now, and they decide, okay, how do we want to be ruled? Yes, that that law does transcend into now, and so that that law would continue if caught. But there is no blanket mass murder of homosexuals right. as yeah. a category. It's only people caught in the act, just like for adultery, caught in the caught act. in the act. Yeah. Two two quick things. One, we're talking about homosexuality being a treasonous act against the family, which God takes very seriously, and and two. We're talking about the civil magistrate being responsible to punish wickedness per Romans 13. Not you and I walking down the street, see two gay guys holding hands and kissing and grabbing the nearest rock. Right. This type of caricature is just nonsense. Absolutely. And it's, and so what, as 
Todd Friel and Phil Johnson continue on this road of analysis. Notice how cavalier and how glib and flippant they are with how people uh, representing other people's arguments. You know, when you're representing someone's argument, you need to do it in such a way that they would agree with you. Yes, that's how I would represent it. Yeah. And I could even confess that we could always, all of us could try and do better at that. But when you get to this level of just blatant misrepresentation, stone all the sex, all the naughty little children, stone all the homosexuals, Joel McDurian is furious. There's a level of insecurity that's yeah. being on display. They're not wanting to deal with the substance. They're not going to sit down and have a debate with Joel McDermott. Maybe they will. I hope you do. If you're listening, Bill Johnson, sit down and have a debate with your brother, Joel McDermott. Right. Yeah. Um, and treat him like the brother that he is. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and, and rather than this sort of circus act that we're witnessing right now. And I guess we're so to kind of yeah. to continue this, they're, they're saying uh, Dr. McDermott five years ago believed that uh, we were just stone homosexuals as we were stating that as a mischaracterization. Um, but you also explained like the real idea that he he previously held. Uh, right. But apparently there's been a shift and that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Right. And we're yeah. going to hear that now. Changed from that now. And and he's adopted sort of the. Uh, social justice agenda. So I really don't know how to define where he's at. And the thing about theonomous okay, let's stop. Let's stop. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't know how to define where somebody's at, why are you talking about it? Well, absolutely. And he doesn't know how to define it. But what you'll notice what he did there is, as John alluded to pri- prior to the, the clip being replayed, he starts talking about how Joel McDermott has changed from stoning all homosexuals, which he never wanted to do. But he did have a view more in line with the classical theonomist view of, yes, if caught in the act and if due process, et cetera, et cetera, is a revolutionary act. And yes, they, they would in that case go through with it. And now Joel McDermott has adopted what's called the Karam principle. And it's a view of theonomy without this could be a whole episode that says that some of the penology in the New Testament or in the Old Testament uh, was to do with the vehicle of Israel as a redemptive vehicle of God's unfolding plan in history to keep the the nations surrounding um, or the nations in the land of Canaan uh, distinct, the, the tribes of Christ in, le- in the land of Canaan distinct so that the Redeemer could come on time and as planned. So they had these like these laws where even if you um, commit adultery or if there's any kind of sexual sin, it wasn't just eye for an eye. So no, you need to be like... Uh, you need to be executed and you need to be, you know, there's devoted to destruction, right. devoted to That's destruction. The, this right. is Hebrew. the Karen means yeah. equivalent of the Karen principle. So make a long story short, he has shifted his view to more of a, uh, a different application within the broader theonomic framework, the broader theonomic hermeneutic. And he still has the theonomic hermeneutic, but he's changed in this application. And so he calls that he's embraced the social justice yeah, like, and one thing that needs term. to be clear is that I have not met a theonomist has agreed on every tiny thing with every other theonomist. Right, right. Uh, Doctor R. J. Rajaduni still believed in the abiding the abiding validity of certain uh, like nutritional laws. For example, yeah. I don't. Neither do most Reconstructionists and theonomists. But that's okay. And even that could be nuanced in what Rush Dooney's view on that. Exactly. Was. And we could go into all that. And it wasn't a hard line, strict law, but he did think that there was some validity there. So there's, there needs to be some grace and charity within the, the, the theonomic community itself. And, and like what you said, Jordan, 
we could have an entire episode on the Karen principle, but let's just be clear about what Phil Johnson is actually talking about. It's not just some SJW thing. It's an actual theological principle that he switched to. So what Phil Johnson is doing, he's fusing in this SJW code word here. Um, So Joel McDermott is, is neither a, um, a rabid SJW type where he's wants to do away with the law of God, nor is he some, um, you know, hardline, rigid, extreme to the nth degree caricature of a theonomist that the, you know, he described when he's talking about stone, all homosexuals. So he's neither of those. So he's setting up the dynamic where, Oh, before he was this crazy hardline theonomist and it was a caricature of the theonomy. Now he's switching. He's some like left wing, social ju- SJW social justice guy. Yeah. He doesn't capture the accuracy of this, this dynamic. Not it's even, not he's accurate. Not, he's not framing it at all, even remotely close. And, and frankly, it's really frustrating. Uh, I'll just say this. It's really frustrating for people who as like Christian reconstructionists, theonomists who would like to see God's law honored. And we, we, the gospel's preached. We want it to be honored. And suddenly you're labeled a Marxist. Right. Yeah. Like that's the default answer. <laughs> let's, let's make this clear. Socialism is theft and it's sin. Exactly. And Joel McDermott would amen that. I guarantee you. He wrote a great book on it. God and so God versus socialism. So this idea that those who want to see God's law honored in society, they're so SJWs, they're Marxists. Frankly, that's basically said by people who understand neither of those things. And and we need to move on, and we will, but the SAW is going to be another episode because yeah. it, we really do need to address that whole topic, and we're going to, but... Yeah, let's keep going. Yeah, As, as a group, they've always done more fighting with each other than they, than they really actually do teaching a consistent well, the, view, the, so the it's hard to follow them. That God reign, that God reigns right. directly. Which we agree we with. apply his Bible... The, Old Testament precepts to the nation of Israel, to America. Right. That, that's what they're... Okay, so John MacArthur hinting he's not about that, but he kept going. Right. That doesn't mean I avoid everything political because I also want to do anything I can to elevate justice and righteousness in the world. And so as a Christian, I want to take responsibility for whatever political avenues that I can go down that are going to increase the order of society, the blessing of society. I want to be pro-family, pro-life, pro-character, pro-virtue, pro-morality, all those kinds of things, pro-honesty, pro-kindness, pro-mercy, pro-grace, all of those things in my culture. Okay. Now, we're only halfway through this clip. (laughs) Well, there's definitely a few things, a few things there. Yeah. Uh, One thing I want to hit, uh, hit on is that John MacArthur is trying to have his cake and eat it too. Right. I mean, obviously so. He says he wants to do everything he can in order to encourage justice. How are you defining justice? He must be MacArthur? an SJW. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you defining justice? I mean, maybe he's, he's like, well, I'm going to go to Romans 13 and say the law is for us, you know, encouraging good. Well, where are you getting the idea of good? Right. Like, where, By where what does, standard? Where does God actually lay out what he thinks is good? Yeah. Maybe the law of God. You're right. It's I mean he's already set this up earlier in the Shapiro interview. The God, I just my call is to preach the gospel. Politics is just organization of temporal things. Right. right. And now you can how do you speak to it? You can't cuz you've already sawed off the branch you're sitting right. on. It's he's already delinked the teeth of the gospel authority to his mission uh in the great commission in in the gospel. 
to affect change politically. He's saying, sure, I'd like all these things to happen and I'd, I'd you know, do what I can to make all these things happen. I'm on the side of pro-life and pro-justice, again, according to what standard. But he's already delinked these things from the core of the gospel message. And when Ben Shapiro, two days later, went on a show with Jordan Peterson and talked about his conversation with John MacArthur. The humanist Jordan Peterson, the not humanist, a Christian. Yeah, yeah, Jordan Peterson, who is a uh, public intellectual. I'm sure many of you know him. And, and they were talking about this interview he recently had. It was very clear and very sad that Ben Shapiro had a view of the gospel that said it had nothing to do with the temporal conditions in the earth. There was nothing about the gospel that made you know justice in the here and now part of what the gospel message is about because that's what John MacArthur uh, gave him that impression. And as a Jew, somebody who looks at what the passages of the Messiah are in the Old Covenant and are very, very obviously partly at least to do with the temporal realm and justice in the temporal realm is the, the passage we read leading into here was talking right. about, you know, justice, the justice that Christ brings is multi-pronged. It's justice eternally, right? Justice before God and the righteousness and the, the wrath of God being absorbed by Christ and that eternal justice that he makes for us in the, in the, you know, the life to come. And then there's also temporal justice. The kingdom that he brings is going to have all the hallmarks of justice though to the extent that his kingdoms made manifest on the earth you're going to see uh laws change and laws that help the poor and the needy and the and those who are downtrodden you know by taxation and, right. and what have you yeah and another little point on this segment and it's a little bit earlier in that last segment uh, i believe it was todd friel said that theonomist and again he's trying to make it sound very scary he's like they think god reigns yeah, they think God reigns, and Phil Johnson's like he has to. Well, well, you know, we well we believe that too. Right? <laughs> that was a little bit of an awkward. It, it like, was a bit oh. strange. It was like, wait a second. Um, well, and sure and that. that's MacArthur's been on record as saying that Jesus is in eschatological exile. He's in voluntary exile right now because he has to come back to be king. Which there we'll there get is to the, the clip eschatology yeah. begins to be smuggled in. And the third real quick point on this segment is that he he tries to delegitimize theonomy because he says theonomists argue with each other. Yeah. Well, it's like like Baptists argue with each other, Reformed yeah. people in general. We all argue with each other. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not <laughs> unique at all. And maybe some of the reason we argue with each other is because people are misrepresented. Mm, yes. <laughs> maybe Perhaps we're a little so. We're a little ornery here because again, being misrepresented, you know. I mean, we're all reformed. Yeah. And so is Phil Johnson, if you believe Baptists can be reformed. Uh, Another episode. They're, they're, the very least, they're, they're good Calvinistic brothers, and guess what? We're arguing with them, so therefore Calvinism's false. Yeah, exactly. it doesn't really follow. It doesn't. All anyway, right. good point. Keep going. He, in that particular particular clip, seemed to sound like he could be a bending toward theonomy. What, what's, what's he going after here? <laughs> Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world." Right. So the the oh wait, just real quick. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would be fighting. He didn't say it's not. It doesn't have anything to do with this world. It's not of. It doesn't originate in this world. It's a different order. It's a divine order of heaven. Thank you. This, my kingdom is not of this world, is one of the uh, common arguments in the repertoire of anybody who wants to make the quick argument against theonomy. You'll hear it thrown out all the time, okay? And so... Does anyone really think that when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, that 
that kings all around the world should be like, phew, good, I can keep on reigning in, in opposition to Christ's law because <laughs> his kingdom's not of this world, man. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep being, you know, doing my evil thing here. You know, Christ doesn't really care about it. No. When Christ is saying my kingdom is not of this world, he's saying it's, it's talking about the source of his rule, which, right. as right, you exactly. rightly pointed out, Jason, is heavenly. And heavenly authority is always not disconnected from the earth. It's over the earth. So the rule of heaven doesn't stop at the pearly gates. Yeah. The rule of heaven is over all of the nations. Christ has all authority here and now. And when the rulers of the nations hear that Christ's kingdom is of heaven and not of earth, not these rinky-dink little earthly kingdoms running around trying to have their little you know party time, they should shudder. And they should be in fear, and they should repent, and they should change from their wicked ways. And so this argument, this verse is a wonderful verse for theonomists. Yeah. But it's used in sort of a cavalier fashion to like, be like, well, you know, Jesus' kingdom is heaven. It doesn't really have to do with the kingdoms of this world. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's not even what it says on its face. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm from Oklahoma. I'm John of Oklahoma. It doesn't mean I can't be in Virginia or I can't be on Montana. I mean, it's like, come on. It's, it's, it doesn't say what they want it to and say. And can we please right. just keep reading? He later, he says, but my kingdom is not from the world. From source. It's really, this is not hard. Mm-hmm. This is not a hard passage to exegete. There are mm-hmm. far harder passages. I think mm-hmm. we said this in episode one. Just <laughs> keep just reading. Just keep reading. Well, we need to keep playing this too. Political structure that we're talking about in the kingdom of God uh, is not, it's not, the church has not been tasked with taking over you know, the governments of this world and handing them over to Christ. That's Stop. the theonomic view. Most of the. <laughs> okay. And this is, Joel pointed this out. It was a great point when he was critiquing John MacArthur. He was saying he made the classic blunder of confusing the church, state, family, the institutions that God has set up over us. And so let's be clear no theonomist is advocating um, ecclesiocracy, which is the notion of the church being the political ruler. Right. No one wants the church to take over the government and have no more government and just have the church like be the government right. Right? We're the, not in, teaching, the civil, uh, in the civil realm. We're not teaching like a Roman Catholic two swords ideas. We're right. not teaching that the church should be the government. Nothing like that. We, we believe in very classic reform sphere sovereignty. We believe that the civil magistrate needs to be the civil magistrate. We believe the church needs to be the church. The family needs to be the family. And each and every sphere, including the self, including individuals, we all answer to God. Yes. And this is a very teachable moment because the premise and the, the what we need to understand is the kingdom is larger than the church. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is not limited to just what the church is. And you can get you can understand this very easily. The civil magistrate, the church, and the family, they're all separate entities in the Bible, and they all have separate functions and jurisdiction. Read Romans 13, we're at first first Corinthians 5, uh, you know, Ephesians 6. And then at his ascension, at Christ's ascension as king, he inherited all authority in heaven and on earth. And the civil magistrate was not accepted from that authority, right? right. And so though they're separate entities, the civil magistrate, the church, and the family. They all exist within the kingdom of Christ. And the kingdom of Christ is therefore larger than just the church. Now, is the church the same thing as the civil magistrate? No, no. And so when Phil Johnson says that theonomy is about the church sort of taking over the civil 
realm, he's not representing theonomy well because that's not what we want. Right. Unless he's unless he means, and I know he doesn't mean this, that we are successful in discipling the nations and discipling the magistrate to obey Christ and submit to him. If that's what you mean by taking over, then well, we want to take over. That yeah, amen, absolutely. absolutely. But because we want because we want saying. the civil realm to obey Christ, yeah, right, and obey His law, right. So I, I hope he agrees with that too, and he he does when his premillennial view in the future, you know, yeah. want that eventually. Well, he's got more to say here. Post millennialists, so Uh-oh. they believe that the church will, you know, ultimately gain control of these the earthly governments and hand them over to Christ. Uh, And, you know, my view, and I think that probably the dominant view uh, throughout Christianity would be that, no, Christ, when he comes, will set up his kingdom. He he will be the one that conquers world governments. And so, okay, so the mistake here is saying that we're going to hand it over to Christ. No, in the postmodern view, it's already been handed over to Christ. Uh, You know, ask of me. And I will, um, I will give you the nations. I'm paraphrasing in the Old Testament. That's that's what is put forward about Christ. And so Christ did accept rule in Daniel seven over the nations. He went up to the ancient days and received the kingdom. It's already been handed over to him. We're not handing over to Jesus anything. It already belongs to Jesus. We're now representatives of him here on the earth, declaring his authority and saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, is here." And so what what happens is the church through the Holy Spirit, through the agency of the Holy Spirit in the postmillennial view, is fulfilling the Great Commission and teaching all nations, baptizing them, they're being regenerated, and they're being taught to obey the law of God in every sphere. When that work has been completed and all the nations have been transformed towards Christ, then the handing over happens. But the handing over is Jesus Christ handing over the completed kingdom, which has been won by the Holy Spirit, and hands it over to the Father, and that's at the consummation. Right. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is the great commission we're talking about. <laughs> right. You think there would be a little bit more carefulness in yeah. how they're speaking. All authority. And that's a great point. He already has it. Daniel 7, He comes. the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of the Days. This is not about the second coming. This is about Christ's um, sin-smashing death and his resurrection and his ascension. And he's established as king now. Right. And so if you're a premillennialist, then fine. Okay, we don't agree, but you know, you can be a premillennialist and be a good brother in Christ. But we need to be cognizant of how our eschatology will, will be smuggled in and will influence our views about theonomy and about the application of God's law. And clearly what's this is happening in Phil Johnson's case. He's, he's saying, no, this is impossible because of my eschatological view. Yeah, you know, so theonomy can't be applied in the way that theonomists want to apply today. And, you know? and let's not let's not think that your view is the dominant view when it, the rapture was invented in the early 19th century. P.S. A very <laughs> narrow view, by the way. Oh, he hasn't called the church to advance the gospel at the point of the sword or or through politics but or that's whatever. Happened throughout history. We gotta we gotta stop. That. I can't even. Can't I even. just. I can't, hey. <laughs> I'm out of even. I'm out of evens. No one's advocating for the sword that we just go and start killing people. 
Okay, so this is just 101 sort of Christianity, not even theonomy. And yeah. I mean, yeah, it's one, no no theonomist wants to just start invading people with the sword and just killing people until, mm-hmm. you know, that's just a ridiculous No caricature. one believes we're going to convert anybody through the sword. No, it's no, there's no convert or die theonomy. No. no. Yay. No, we have always believed, and Rush Juni has always taught very clearly, like, very clearly that the nations will only be discipled by the sword of the spirit, right? right? By the gospel. And what we're saying is not just cross and crown. This is every theonomist I can think of. (laughs) Even if theonomists I don't agree with on Mm -hmm. many points, they would never, ever believe this. I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you, (laughs) Phil Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) We got a little bit more. Let's finish this out. Isn't it? And, you know, here and there you can you can uh, cite things like the, you know, the Inquisition and things like that. But uh, biblically minded Christians have never. Sure. We, we need to remember when, when somebody brings up the Crusades to us, the Inquisitions to us I, I, as a Protestant, I don't need to defend those yeah, because no. I'm not a Roman Catholic. That's, that's right. That's there. But but we have seen In fact, people that take was, the sword. That was the mistake of the Crusaders. They thought, well, the that it's their duty to sort of protect the kingdom of God on this earth. Uh, and so rather than actually just proclaiming the gospel, which is the commission the church has been given, and that's what John MacArthur's saying in that clip, they busied themselves with politics, which soon became issues of war and armed conflict, and uh, it derails the calling and purpose of the church. Well, we'll just say one more thing here. Ooh, yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps he keeps going, but we, we're gonna just stop that clip right there. Yeah. Um so he brings up the The Crusades. The Crusades. It, A massive topic. Yeah. Massive topic with massive complexity. My goodness, we've said this twice now on this show, but there might be an episode on just the Crusades. <laughs> there'll be an episode right. on the Karen Principle, there'll be an episode on social justice, right. Right. An episode. And and as of course, with the Crusades, there's there's nuance. It wasn't the the um, the this dynamic where it was the most always every part of it evil thing ever done in Christian right. everything about it was evil all the time nor was it this wonderful Christian like beautiful thing that happened there's nuance and it's thing, almost you know. like the Crusades were taken part of by a lot of different people right with lots of different sins and lots of different motivations and also just as a little point this is before the the reformation so we're talking about church history still yes and this is part of church history and if you want to discuss history you need to have a better answer than well we're not roman catholics right exactly it's just sort of yeah. again you cavalier might, you would have been a roman catholic too if you lived in the crusades <laughs> unless you were some kind of early adopter of Protestant reformation <laughs> you know hundreds of years before martin luther uh, yeah 500 years before protestant before protestant okay, was cool but in any case it's irrelevant because no one's arguing that we're pursu- pushing the gospel at the point of the sword so it's just right. another red herring that's just thrown into people oh theonomists that equate to the to the uh, Crusades, that was you a know? good impersonation. <laughs> Thank nailed you. it, Thank nailed you. it, my friend. Man on the streets, uh, yeah. Oh. Conclusion of that yeah. argument, yeah.
Well, there's a lot there and we could spend forever talking about it, but we have a, just a, I guess, Jordan, you wanted to do a little like a rapid fire before we get wrapping, yeah. wrapping up. And so, uh, in the Theonomy Q and a, which by the way, if you're not a member of Theonomy Q and a, it's a, it's a group on Facebook, which is welcome to all theonomist or not theonomist. If you're a new theonomist, if you're not a theonomist, if you're not quite sure about theonomy, you can go in there, you can ask questions. It's, there's no, uh, embarrassment of any question you might want to ask. There's no we argument. Should, uh, we should add Todd and Phil. <laughs> yeah, we should. We really should <laughs> add Todd and Phil so they can come in and ask questions and get answered from people who know theonomy. There you go. Um, anyways, go in that group. And in that group, we uh, have got some questions on theonomy that uh, will be fielded by our very own in-house doctor, Pastor Jason Garwood. And uh, we're not, going... Not just me. <laughs> John and I will we'll, we'll chip in. I'll try to help. Well, this is going to be rapid fire. It's going to be rapid fire. So... <laughs> so- um, and, and each one of these, I'm sure it could be their own episode, right? But yeah. um, let's uh, let's go through some of these. And the first one comes from our friend, Robert Turkson. And Robert asked the following. Does 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, and we can pull that up and read that off. Does 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, refer to the civil use of the law by the magistrate for every offense listed? Hmm. And well, so just I'll read it. I yeah, have, I have yeah. it open. So good, perfect. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it legitimately or lawfully. I think the ESV says this means understanding that the law is laid down not for the innocent, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the godless and sinful, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their father or mother, for murderers, fornicators, sodomites, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching or doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So, yeah, I mean, this, the law is not laid down or it's not, I believe the way Calvin um, translated it, it's not made for the righteous. And he's not saying the law has nothing to do with righteous people. Those who are in Christ, the law has everything to do with righteous people. But clearly he's making a distinction, not invoking the magistrate here, but I do think it does apply to, I guess, give a short answer. But he's not necessarily invoking the magistrate as much as he's teaching what the law of God does. Mm-hmm. And the law of God, for those who are not in Christ, does condemn. And these are the sort of actions. It reminds me of Romans 1, some of the other things he says in other places. Uh, liars and all these other um, sinful things, behaviors. And clearly, no one here is arguing that the magistrate should punish anybody who thinks about a woman lustfully. Okay. Right? <laughs> so we're not, we have to be careful to determine with the rest of Scripture that which is crime, that which is sin. So one way, one way you could say it is that he's saying that the, the law is not for the just in the sense that the law is like a positive, uh, uh, has like a positive function with actually punishing people actively. Right. Yeah, because okay. there is a positive aspect and a negative aspect, right? Right. There's the positivism, negativism of the law. But yeah, he's not necessarily, again, invoking the magistrate. But the the law of God does have a role and even says, now we know that the law is good. Right. I think that perfectly it has to sums be, it up. It has to be used lawfully. And and you could delve deeper into that question, but uh, yeah. in the interest of time, we'll, we'll take another one. Um, let's see here. I have been curious about Christian society and how best to implement it. With the ever-encroaching tyranny and godlessness in our culture, abortion, infanticide, taxation, the list goes on, 
would it ever be wise for Christians to congregate in a particular area and publicly take a stand? Yes. So I think this is actually going down the road of sort of the secession. Potentially. Potentially. I think that's sort of where the question is going. I I can't read into it too much. This is from A.J. Hurley um, in the Theonomy Q&A. Well, the first thing to do is grab a sword and... (laughs) (laughs) Find the nearest infidel. Oh, oh, wait. That's what our (laughs) opponents would would say. Um, No, no, no. Uh, Yes, you should be laboring alongside like-minded people. That's really what we're doing here in Northern Virginia. We're trying to have critical mass abolitionists who are doing the work, who are lobbying for the right things, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I think there's a positive aspect to that. Because there's a lot of people that are sort of out there fledgling along, and they are such odds with the church because of various views. Um, but but how do you implement it? Well, we're, we're gospel preachers, and it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah, I think that this is a difficult question because the question is more of a wisdom question. Yeah. Because certainly there may be wisdom in certain situations to stand and fight, even if all of society around you is crumbling. And um, other times it's good to to escape the city and go to the next city and start again. Um, and so these are issues where the Holy Spirit is going to have to lead the church into into uh, wisdom, and we're going to have to use our judgment and use wisdom to determine what are the best um, what is the best use of our gifts and our talents, so as not to waste them. And uh, recognizing that God is sovereign, and even if, even if we do our best, it could all be blown up and not work out at all, right? Yeah. yeah. And and leave that up to God, but just to do with what we know, we're called to be shrewd. Yeah. We are not called to be um, uh, naive. We're tr- to look around us and think, okay, how can I best use my talents for the kingdom? And you know that in some situations that might mean hunkering down, planting roots for hundreds of years, and with that sort of like mi- long term mindset. And in other cases, that might mean you got to get out of dodge. Yeah. You, you need to leave, and we need to start somewhere new. And that shrewdness means being wise enough to discern the times, right? we have to be able we know our nation right now is under the judgment of God. God's right. pouring out his covenantal sanctions. So we're not waiting for judgment. We're in the judgment. Absolutely. So we need to be thinking about those things carefully and, and honestly being strategic. So much of Christianity is just haphazard day by day. There's no planning. There's no need to plan, right? Cause we're going to get zapped There's off no the planet. Looking to the future. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's an interesting question because in the new Testament, you have a situation where they needed to discern the times. Paul talks to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 7, and he talks about them not changing their marital status. If you're a slave, don't seek your freedom. If you're not married, don't seek to get married. If you're married, don't seek to get divorced. If you're uncircumcised, don't seek to be circumcised. Or, um, you know, he's, he's saying, look, uh, there's about to be a conflagration. Things are about to go down. You know, you know there's about to be major persecution. The, the present order of the world is about to be passed, passing away with the end of the old covenant era. Um, the, right. the at eighty seventy, um, and so people needed to be cognizant of those things, understand the times, and and not in many cases plant down long term roots in that place. Right? They needed to look at the future, and for those in Jerusalem, they needed to leave. They needed to flee. Yeah. Uh, when they see Roman armies uh, surrounding, they know that the covenantal apostasy is about to um, come to its full fruition and be judged, and they needed to leave and, and run. That's yeah. right. That's right. All right. Another question. Um, Could you guys talk, and this is from Brian Riddle, could you guys talk about the relationship between God's law and the new creation Hmm. and or how theonomists think about 
the ushering in of new creation. And the reason I ask, and maybe this will help you understand my aim in these questions, is because I'm thinking that Christ uses the church as a means to that end, that we take part in new creation and obeying the Great Commission. Is this on track? Thanks. First two episodes were great, guys. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Yeah, I think you're on the right track. When we talk about God's law, we start from the presupposition in terms of the new covenant that unless something is abrogated, it stands. So we don't just assume if it's repeated, then we obey it because you have things like bestiality and all these other things like that that aren't necessarily laid out in the New Testament. So Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 5 that he has not come to abolish the law right? The law and the prophets, mm-hmm. but to what? Fulfill it, mm-hmm. to bring it to its appointed consummation in him. Mm-hmm. He's sort of the, the, now the established spearheading of, mm-hmm. of all things related to God's government, his kingdom and so on. Mm-hmm. So we know that in the new covenant, the law is not just set aside. It's not gone. There's a change in it. We need to be nuancing it correctly. There's a change in the priesthood. There's a change in, you know, the, the animal sacrifice and all those things. So in terms of the new covenant, we assume that it's going forward as planned. Back to what you said earlier, Jordan, about the transcendent principles. Those are things that are just ongoing because they're consistent with the nature of God and justice in the world and so on. But in terms of the new covenant, we, we, we just go, we go with what we see. And if it's repealed, it's abrogated, and it's stated as such. Go to Hebrews. Clearly, the Old Testament sacrificial system has gone away with. Absolutely. Land laws, seed laws, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was the first part of the question. What's the relationship between the law and, well, the, and, the, te- and the new creation? And so basically, and and thank you, and that's, and that's I think, it answers half the question. So the other half of the question is about this new creation. And and basically, if if that post mill happens, right? If, if the nations go forward and the, and the gospel goes forward in a society and begins to take over, do we then begin to see at some level, the new creation begin to bring, uh, become made manifest more and more in our present day? Because as post-millennialists, we, we have an inaugurated eschatology. We see that we, we know the consummation has not yet happened. We know death has not been finally defeated. Obviously we all die. The curse is still here, but to an extent, we do believe that the propagation of righteousness in the world is not completely disconnected to the creation itself. In fact, in Romans 8, we see that there is a very strong connection between the revealing of the sons of God and the creation itself. And right. so, there, there's a growing and there, there's a transformation over time where you have an already not yet. You have the inauguration, but you don't have the consummation. Yeah, and even the book of Revelation, you see the, the vision of the new bride Old old covenant Israel is divorced. There's a new bride in town. It's a renewed covenant um, with the new Jerusalem being the bride of Christ. So, the, in a, in a real sense, yes, we say the new creation has begun. It's a it's a project that started. Um, we're preaching through the Gospel of John, and that's clearly what John's getting at. There's a new creation. Jesus has come as the second Adam to bring it all to a head and to start this project. And, and there are different views on how this plays out in the inter-advent period. But I do believe that to some extent there will be uh, better farming technology, better health technology, longer living, better you know, dietary um, uh, things of that nature. There's going to be um, better, I think, um, uh, monetary situation. I think that the... Uh, 
the world will there'll be more flourishing in the world. Uh, so I just think that be, and, and look at it like just think about it this way. If a family obeys God's law as a family, like you have a mom and a dad, children, they're generally obeying the parents. The parents are faithful to one another. They're loving to one another. Um, and within that family, each person is governing themselves according to God's law. So generally speaking, the the mom and the dad, they're, they're industrious people. They're not gluttons. They're not lazy. They're unselfish. Um, and generally speaking, the, the children are faithful. And as they grow up, they, you know, have have spouses of their own and they teach their children to do the same thing. And, and they're generally, broadly speaking, obeying God's laws. Now, what now think of a society that's taken over by families of that, those kinds of families and those kinds of individuals. You know, what kind of poverty rates do you expect to see comparatively to a, to a society that is completely ravaged by the breakup of the family? Um, you know, what kind of um, and what kind of advancement in the, you know, in, in the realm of the universities and in and we've seen that in history to the extent that the gospel has gone forth and big plug the book that made your world by Vishal Megalwadi. It's the, the book that made your world because the Bible really and the propagation of biblical values really does have a lot to do with all of the advancement that we have seen. Um, and so just to think along those lines, it, it's not actually that hard to conceive of conditions in the world being improved by the propagation of the gospel. Now, you can't take that too far, right? You can't say we're going to achieve the consummation here, right? And we're not saying that. But we're laboring for that. We're, Ultimately, like- we're laboring as before it comes here, we're yeah. laboring to see Christ. Uh, kingdom made manifest on the earth, and and because of that, God blesses covenantally nations who and families and individuals, generally speaking. And we talked about this in episode two, who follow His law and obey His commandments. Right. Good. So thanks. I think that's all the questions. Maybe we'll take more questions on another episode. Okay. That's three questions. So. Sounds good. Well, this episode's gone a lot longer than we had hoped. Or well, it's all good. It's all good. A little bonus material, I guess you could call it. But thanks for for joining us. Um, Thank you for tuning in. Each Monday, we're going to drop some shows for you to enjoy. Again, find us on Facebook. You can see our uh, both Crossing Crown Church and Crossing Crown Radio websites, uh, crosscrownchurch.com. If you want to support the work of Crossing Crown Church here in Northern Virginia, you can go to crosscrownchurch.com slash give. But that's it for us. I think think we're, we're good to go. We'll... Until next week. We'll hit a lot of these subjects in the future, I'm sure. But for now, that's going to be a wrap for us. 